Oh my god, I love this series. We are so excited to share episode one of Murder Among the Mormons. You just want to do, you just want to cover it again. I That's know. why we're here. That's I why do. you loved this so much. Yeah, it's that three episode series on Netflix. Yeah, so this is straight from the Patreon feed, you guys. We're playing episode one right here, ad-free, in the regular feed. The other two episodes are available right now and ad-free as well. You know the Patreon feed. It's where you can get all of our coverage of everything from like I'll Be Gone in the Dark to Night Stalker to Serial Season 1. Yeah. The Jinx. Preppy Murder. Yes. Um, Lorena. Uh-huh. The Vow. The Vow. The Menendez Murders. Lacey Peterson. Jody Arias. It's all the episode-by-episode series from Netflix, Oxygen, Hulu. Yeah, and like every single streaming app has yeah. like all these long-form series. Now, we got we got you covered. Yeah, they're all on the page. Tell the people how much we loved covering Murder Among the Mormons. It was, it was one of those days where it's like, you know how Making a Murderer was 37 zillion yeah. episodes? Yes. This was three. Right. And we were just like, wow, because it's fa- it's horrible, but it's fascinating. It and we're, we're both nerds for like old documents and history. And that's, and that's the all thing, it you guys. It's like all about this like rare document stealer and yeah. all the old shit that he finds. And I was just, I was going crazy. I was shocked you love the old documents. Oh, and then I we had it. like a total nerd fest. So yeah. please enjoy episode one of the nerd fest, also known as Murder Among the Mormons. We love you. <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised, girl. I thought this was going to be real boring. Aren't they fascinating? Now you see what I've been saying this whole time. (laughs) I'm so into it, girl. I'm really into it. It's Murder Among the Mormons, episode one. These episodes don't even have titles. It's just episode one, girl. Let's just dive right in, girl. We have too much to do. They don't even... Even Netflix is like, enough. We're not coming up with clever titles. Let's just get into it. I love that right at the top, we meet this like very well-dressed man, and he just has a very high-pitched voice, and he is refusing to answer a question. Right at the top, he's like, don't make me. Can I ask a favor? Don't make me answer that. Don't make me answer that. Let somebody else do it. I want to make a hero out of him because he was fantastic. His heart is so heavy about it. I know. And I and do we ever find out what the question is? Oh, okay. So I've watched all three of these like uh-huh. four times. Um, <laughs> you have only watched the first one. So I know yeah. where all of this is going. We end where we started, right? So we get back oh. here again. Oh, this guy's a real character too. I like, I have a big note that I'm like, oh, like three minutes in. I'm like, oh, oh, I get it. It's all going to be characters. They're all, okay. every last one of them is a character. Uh, every last one of them. Because he's so dramatic. He's like, let somebody else answer. I don't want to make a hero because he was fantastic. And I'm like, oh, I am so in. I've never been more in. And then we get this coming up on and it's like, it gets scary because it's like explosions and death, but then the Mormons and the documents. And now I'm like, I'm torn because I know horrible things happen, but like, give me the Mormons. You know, I I gotta tell you, girl, in the in the coming up on Dan Rather says booby traps. And the calm of Salt Lake City, Utah, was rocked today by two booby trap bombs that left two people dead. We gotta find a better word. We just went through this. We just <laughs> discussed this, Sasquatch. We gotta find a better word than booby traps. I really don't understand it. Yeah, we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> by by next episode, it'll have nothing to do with anything. But by next episode, maybe I'll come up with something that'll be my homework for the week. They're making me say booby every time. They make me say booby. What's so wrong with? boobies listen i like boobies i've gotten yelled at you for saying the word booby before did i yell at you it was the con- context matters what happened 
I don't know. I don't know. But the word booby traps? Like, these are deadly bombs that kill people. Why are we calling them booby traps? It's like a horrifying, horrifying thing that happened. We need a word that sounds a little more dignified. I see what you're saying. I hear you. Let's show some respect. Thank you. Thank you for coming around to seeing it my way. You're welcome. So, speaking of characters, we see this guy. Like, right after the, the opening credits, it opens on this guy. We don't get his name right away. I just said he looks like Gandalf, and he's telling us about treasure stories. What I love the most about treasure stories, they're always about lost treasures, you know? Whether we're looking for Atlantis or the Titanic or whatever, there's a lot of treasure out there. But the thing is, treasure stories always have the same ending. The treasure is temporarily found, but then some calamity happens and the treasure's lost again. His name is Ken and he's yes. a rare book and document dealer. Almost everyone we meet is is in the rare book document coin scenario, right? Let me just say before we get into this, that is why I'm all in. I yeah. am all about the, like that, I keep asking you the name of this movie. The, what's the Nicolas Cage movie thing? The movies I've never seen or yeah. like care about, The National Treasure, is that, I feel like it's wrong. National Treasure Hunt or whatever it is, like the one where like, they have to like go underneath the city of New York and find the things and the maps and the Goonies, like the Da Vinci Code shit where it's all in the art and like the history and the documents. Like I am oh, yeah. all, I'm so in. And like the lying and the bullshit. It's amazing. Yeah, 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 so yeah. Ken's like, you know, the old airplane pilot joke about ladies and gentlemen, we're landing in Salt Lake City. Set your watch back 10 years. It's an old chestnut. We're now landing in Salt Lake City. Set your watch back 10 years. Yeah. It's an old chestnut. It's my favorite joke. It's my favorite. So what he's saying is like Salt Lake City, Utah is super conservative. It's I mean, yeah. Utah is Mormon country, as we know, yeah. and Salt Lake City specifically. And so we get some history about Mormonism. It's a super young religion. It's like under 200 years old. Yeah. And, you know, Mormonism was founded by Joseph Smith. Yeah. It's this whole bonkers story. Here's the thing. Somebody once, like when Book of Mormon first came out, like made the yeah. really good point that the founding of all religions sound just as ridiculous as the founding of the Mormon religion. But sure. the difference is that the Mormons religion was founded in modern times. And so it sounds like to the modern ear, it just sounds a little bit more ridiculous because it hasn't been around that long. Yes. And so like what they're saying, like if you are a Mormon, I am not disparaging your religion. I am a perfectly open to all of this being true. Uh, yes. But it does sound ridiculous. That doesn't mean I'm saying it couldn't be true. It absolutely could be, but it sounds ridiculous. Right. And here's what, here's what, what Sorry. she, she meaning Patrick, is referring to. So uh, Can I say it one more time? Yeah. It sounds ridiculous. Right. So Joseph Smith, walking along, he finds some gold plates. An angel named Moroni told him where to find the plates. In 1829, a young man named Joseph Smith translated a set of gold plates to which he was directed by an angel into a volume called the Book of Mormon. He translated those plates, bada bing, bada boom, you got the Book of Mormon. That's really what we have going on here. And that's really the thing. And so like one of my very best friends, Mike Jensen, he grew up in the Mormon faith mm -hmm. and he's no longer Mormon. His parents are, he's very close with his parents and I therefore am too. And I have sat down and asked his mother, like, so you believe that story? That like right. an angel came to Joseph Smith, told him where these golden plates were, written in a language that nobody could understand and he, the angel translated them and Joseph Smith wrote them down. And that's a real thing that actually happened and she says yes in the early 1800s yeah 1829 yes yeah my friend chris is a reformer 
That's how yeah. he calls it. He's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then, like, you get the Book of Mormon, and then Joseph Smith started the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's LDS. And yes. the LDS church is super into their history. Like, to them, the history of their religion and the faith itself go completely hand in hand. But the the thing about that, they're not just into their history. They are into, like, digging up the documents, which I think right. is so fucking cool. They want right. to find every letter Joseph Smith ever wrote. Every letter his sister ever wrote. Every letter his mother ever wrote. Like, they are so into the artifacts, and so am I, that, like, when I realized that's what this was about, I started to lose my mind. Yeah, because it's so new, so that stuff is yeah. around. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's just, you know, it's like, after the fucking revolution, like, it's crazy. Yeah. So now there's totally. this rich market of Mormon artifacts that you are now totally invested in, Patrick. And so, like, totally. this is the guy from the top. The guy who's like, don't make me say it, don't make me say it. His name is Shad Shannon Flynn. He's a rare document dealer, but he was like the dealer, like the best yes. of the best. And there's Shannon on the news from years ago. And he's basically like, yeah, it's me. I'm here. It's all very exciting. No pictures, please. He's like the cool sunglasses guy emoji. He's like, I know. Yeah, it's me, Shannon Flynn. Like, okay. <laughs> but he's telling us about this guy, Mark Hoffman. And it was at that time that I was introduced to Mark Hoffman. And I was very excited to meet Mark. He was in the Mormon document world. He was a rock star. In the Mormon document world, he was a rock star. And I'm like, I hear what you're saying, but it's a small world, like, by nature. It's pretty niche. But here's the story about why this guy, Mark Hoffman, is a rock star. And this story blew my fucking mind, you guys. This is why we're all here. Here we go. He found, like, when he was a student at the University of Utah, he found a very rare document. And we see, like, a TV interview where he's talking about it. That appears to be the earliest Mormon document and the earliest Joseph Smith holograph. I think it's exciting just to think that apparently this piece of paper was copied by Joseph Smith's own hand. The characters were just straight from the gold plates that were right there. When Joseph Smith like met with that angel and the angel translated the gold plates for him, Joseph Smith wrote it down. The guy, the Joseph Smith, yeah. who like did, like founded this religion, wrote down the translation on paper, and this is one of the papers he wrote it down on. Like this is the beginning of Mormonism. Like this is yeah. it. So if you're LDS, like this is the this is it's like literally the Holy Grail. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And like the earliest known document that Joseph Smith had, his handwriting. Like it's the biggest deal ever. And so here's how. Mark found it. Oh Pay God. attention to all of this. It sounds like we're just giving you a history lesson, but it's all really important. So Mark Hoffman bought a Bible. Mark bought an old Bible from a man in Salt Lake. The man said he'd purchased the Bible from the granddaughter of Joseph Smith's sister. Can I just say, like, okay, I'm going to give you guys a real quick side note about me. There is a guy, there's an activist, his name is Craig Rodwell. He's the guy who, like, he was at Stonewall. He founded the Oscar Wilde Memorial Bookshop, which is the, the world's first LGBT bookstore, but really the world's first LGBTQ business in the mm-hmm. 1960s. He, like, was at Stonewall, was a major activist in the days after Stonewall. He invented the Pride March, the Pride March that we all go to every year that, like, is now, a, like, an international thing. He invented that. Yes. I learned about him and became, like, obsessed with him as, like, a... As like a figure. He died in 1993. He donated all of his papers, all of his artifacts, all of the things from all of his time as an activist, like before Stonewall, during Stonewall, after Stonewall, to the New York Public Library. I used to go and sit with his shit Mm -hmm. and Uh just touch it. You could touch it? Yes, yes. Like like all of his writings and all of his pictures and all of his personal shit. Like you can get, like you can, if like you can prove that you're working on a project about these people, you can get the boxes and go through their shit. So like, I am 
so into this, like knowing what this religion means to these people and yes. the idea that this guy found even just an artifact that Joseph Smith would have touched that they're mm-hmm. touching like the, through the pages of history and time. I am like shaking. I'm so riveted. And you know, I grew up in a house of really cool antiques. So my mom yes. has old yes. like sign in guest books from the 17, 1800s with oh all like God. the most beautiful handwriting ever. But people yes. just writing like, thanks so much. Like when people would have dinner parties and fancy parties, people would like write like, here's a guest book. Here's a yeah, sign in yeah, book. Yeah. And the date and like, you know, whatever, someone's birthday or Christmas or whatever. So like, I'm, I'm right there with you. Oh God, I'm obsessed. Okay. So, so sorry, continue. No. So this document is tucked into the pages of this Bible and Dory Hoffman, Mark's wife, she's the one who found it. Just remember that. So Mark's yeah. wife is like thumbing through this Bible. He had this Bible and I started flipping through the pages and there was this part that was folded up and had this sticky gum on the end of it. And it was, I think it was black. And I remember calling them and saying, there's something in here. What's this? Oh, it's just the most early document of Mormonism we have. It's like the document, the Holy Grail. So yeah. the minute Mark finds it, he's like, I'm going to go into the rare document business. Like, that sounds like a thing I could do. I totally get that. I would have had the same reaction. Like, I found the rarest, most important document in my religion. That was exhilarating. I want to do that every day, you know? Yeah. So we meet this guy, Brent, who's also a Mormon history researcher. Like I said, everyone we meet is like ne- yeah. like eyes deep in this, in this world. Brent is also a very emotional man we'll get to that later. they've all been through so much girl like you have no idea this is episode one they've I been know. through it so brent and mark are working together and mark's like you know what I'm not only going to be in this Mormon document world, I'm going to be the best there is. Like, I'm going to be the best one. The difference between Mark and Brent is that Brent is a researcher. So, like, Mark is the guy that's going to go out and, like, procure the document. Brent's going to track this shit down. And it's really fascinating. Like, it's a smart thing because Mark says, well, let's do genealogy. And so Mark would ask me to do the genealogical research where we would research the descendants of certain mission presidents and see if they had any of these family documents or books on hand. Because that's what happened with the first Bible. Like, the Bible belongs to the granddaughter of Joseph Smith's sister or whatever. Like, if we can find more people in this lineage that have old shit that we can buy, who knows what we can find? People never know what they have in their attic or in their basement or, like, they don't even know what they're looking for. Like, you have no idea. And it pays off. They find a 137-year-old letter in something that they buy from some relative of somebody. This letter is from Lucy Max Smith, who's Joseph Smith's mother. Holy I'm like jumping out of my chair. I know. And so Mark is finding stuff left and right because now he has Brent and the researcher and it's becoming, I mean, they're like the fucking Rolling Stones. Truly, like they are so popular and it's really like, it's exactly what Mark wanted. He wanted to do this thing. He dove in and he's doing really well. He's finding stuff left and right. And so these are being sold for top dollar mostly because they're from a time of Mormon history where there isn't a lot a ton of information and also because it's like oh from Joseph Smith's mom Joseph Smith's handwriting like these are really valuable just on their face too yeah we take a quick sidetrack to find out that that guy Shannon from the top of the episode and Mark like the rock star are really close and they like they hang out they have dinner parties and stuff one of the times I was there we played celestial pursuit trivial pursuit for Mormons One by one, Mark sat there with the cards. Everyone right. Never missed one. And 
if everyone's just joining us on True Crime Obsessed, I kind of know a lot about this, mostly from the show <laughs> Big Love, but also because I'm just interested. I've read Under the Banner of Heaven, whatever. Me too. So, I love that book. It's so good. I mention yeah. it every episode yeah. recently. I don't know why. But <laughs> like heaven is the celestial kingdom. So right. celestial pursuit is trivial pursuit for Mormons. But the whole point of Shannon telling us this is that Mark got every single question right. Like he knew yeah. his shit about the Mormon history and traditions and the celestial kingdom. Yeah, he's an expert. So now we're back with Brent the historian and he's saying like during this time he's just spending a lot of time in the Mormon archives like looking over all the old documents and he comes across like an old rare book. We don't get a lot of information on what's in this book but he tells us that like it became a lightning rod for a number of general authorities because they felt that that material was damaging to the church and they were concerned that I would publish it. It's a book that, like, if it got out, it would make the Mormons look really bad somehow. And so the Mormons get wind that he knows what this is, and they somehow get him fired from his job. Yeah, because he was working for the LDS doing research for them. So when they found that Brent has this document that can be a little damaging, they fire him. And so yeah. Brent explains why. And so the church is in kind of an ironic situation. On the one hand, they are driven by history. And they want to preserve documents. Their appreciation for the builders of the past will be enhanced. But on the other hand, what do you do with documents that have the potential of destroying someone's faith? But they also want to destroy the ones that they don't <laughs> much care for. That's like the <laughs> ultimate having your cake and eating it. Like, you can't have it both ways, LDS. Yeah, and I guess I knew about that from just for like Mike and Mike's family. Like, we've all, we've talked about all of this before. But they also like, not only will they like get people fired for things that they don't want them to know, they'll also like suppress documents. Mm -hmm. The point is, the lore of how this religion was founded is very important to the church and they will go to any lengths to preserve that. Yeah, even though they'll admit things like, oh, we don't really know a lot about this time of the church. And that right. makes it really easy for them to sort of make that narrative whatever they want it to be. Yeah. So we get the on-screen text. It's it's December 1983. It's two years before the bombings. We don't know what the bombings are yet, but it's two years before that. And so Shannon remembers the day because it was his birthday. <laughs> yes. December 27th. December 27th, 1983. Capricorn season. Yeah. <laughs> He's <laughs> over at Mark's house, and Mark is like the rock star documents guy. And Mark says to Shannon, come over here. I'm going to show you something nobody has seen. He takes out of his briefcase the salamander rider that was in the box where the gold plates were what what wow he opens his briefcase and he pulls out what is called the white salamander letter and shannon today almost falls out of his chair describing what it is like he is so excited still all these years later because this salamander letter according to mark was in the box with the gold plates that the angel yeah. moroni directed joseph smith to and the translate the beginning of mormonism like yeah. this letter was there and now mark has it yeah, and he's saying, you know, Mark is saying to Shannon, we don't have any photographs of this letter. Like, will you be the first to photograph it, please? And Shannon is saying, like, Mark is keeping this letter, like, under lock and key. Nobody knows about it. And he's like, that's not really weird in, the in like, the rare documents world. Like, people keep a lot of secrets. So, like, Shannon feels honored that he knows about this white salamander letter. Right. And now, suddenly, there's old news footage and someone is singing. mountain's crest in robes of statehood dressed Utah we love thee Rod Decker KUTV News 
Thank you, Rod. That's a nice way to end the news, right? right. It's chaos down here, Tom. <laughs> and he's here with us today, but he's yeah. like, Utah, we love thee. <laughs> da, 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 da. And I'm like, Rod? Hi, girl. What's, what's your story, sweetheart? Yeah. I'm interested in you a little bit. And he's like, well, Jillian, thanks for asking. I've been a journalist in Utah for 45 years and I'm like shit that's impressive the thing about the journalists in Utah too is that like they talk about Mormon stuff as though everybody knows everything about it you know what I mean yes if it was a news broadcast in Boston it'd be like X and Y thing was discovered by the Mormons the Mormons are you know what I mean like sure but these newscasters like the Mormon news is the news you know yeah but I I do appreciate that Rod to us he's like I know this is on Netflix because he's like so let me tell you about the salamander letter right Then one of the documents he had found was called the White Salamander Letter. It was a letter from Martin Harris, an important man in early Mormonism. He was a contemporary of, like, Joseph Smith. So it is kind of important to know that, like, this guy who wrote this salamander letter was the, quote, scribe of Joseph Smith. So he was the one that, like, took all of Joseph Smith's, like, dictation. So he was there in a front row seat to the angel and the gold plates and the whole thing. The whole, I mean, front row, can you imagine? Probably pretty bright. (laughs) Probably pretty bright. (laughs) Is it loud? Right? I don't know. Well, all the trumpets, I bet bet the trumpets are loud. Moroni seems pretty chill, though. That's true. (laughs) Something about Moroni, I get a super chill vibe where it's like, this is a real, this is like going to start your religion, but like play it cool, Joe, you know? (laughs) Don't get like weird about it. Just like act like you've been here before, Joey. So here's the substance of that letter. And the letter said that Joseph Smith had told him that Joseph Smith was led to the golden plates by a white salamander. This contradicted the church version of what had happened and struck deeply at Mormon belief. The church said that cool angel Moroni led Joseph Smith to the plates. And so this like shakes everyone to their core. Right. And so everyone is real worked up about this. Like they are up in arms. And I have to note, like, I don't really know. Again, I say this very easily could have happened. And I totally accept that. It all sounds ridiculous. Whether it's an angel led you to the plates or a white salamander that magically led you to the plates. Right. Like, and also the plates are still there the plates are a constant right and and also so it's like okay so everyone's up in arms because it was a salamander and not an angel like okay and they keep making the distinction that like this new salamander letter gave a far different story of the church's earliest roots and took that context of christian familiar terms like angels and twisted them towards a kind of folk magic context the known history with the angel is very Christian-based. It's very, like, Bible-y. And the salamander thing is dabbling in, like, magic and weird, like, weirdness. Like the occult. And I'm like, well, point me to the salamander. I want to I- follow that little white salamander because that makes it a little fucking cool. Right. right? Yeah, I don't understand why one really weird thing that sounds insane is worse than the other really weird thing that sounds insane. But the Mormons are really upset about it. Yeah, and they were dying on this hill. It was Moroni this and Moroni that, and everyone loved Moroni. Now it's like a salamander. Oh, no. And so now, like, this is what we were saying before. Everyone, everyone knows that the Mormon church hides documents they don't like. They either suppress it or they fire people for it or whatever. But the thing about Mark, this Mark Hoffman, this rock star guy, he he wasn't working for anyone but himself. He didn't have to answer to the church. Right. And and he doesn't want documents suppressed. So now right. we learn about this guy, Steve Christensen. He is also a collector and he 
buys this letter. Like, Mark Hoffman's just trying to make a buck, right? And so, like, they get a certificate of authentication, which I'm assuming all they can really authenticate of this letter is that it comes from the time. Like, the paper comes from the time when the letter would have been written or whatever. So they get this letter of authentication, and that's good enough for this guy, Steve Christensen, pays $40,000 for the letter and, like, for the time being, puts it in his private collection. Right. And our friend Brent tells us, like, here's the thing about Steve. Steve had a genuine interest in church history. And while he loved the church, he also felt that there was a need for intellectual transparency when it came to the history of the church. He also felt really strongly that the church needed to be transparent about the history. Yeah. Can it be both? Can it be a Salamander and Angel Moroni? Does it have to be both? Like, does everyone have to be so up in arms? Like, again, the gold plates are still the constant. So, exactly. like, Joe, like, Joe, I'm just calling him Joe. Like, yeah. Joe wrote down what's on the plate. Like, what's on the plates doesn't change, right? Right. So, so Steve's kind of like, I think we could, the truth is somewhere in the middle. I don't think we have to be up in arms. Like, I'm just going to yeah. keep it and see what happens. It, exactly. So this is where we learn about President Gordon B. Hinckley. He's like, I guess the president of the Mormon church, like the main yeah. prophet, I think it's what they call him. Yep. And this guy Hinckley, obviously he's not psyched about the white salamander letter. He's like the head guy who wants like the story that we all know to stay the same. It was definitely the angel, not the salamander. Sure. He acknowledges that at the very least, the paper that the letter is written on is from the time. He said, we'll have to accept for the time being the scientific evaluations of the examiners. But that does not mean that it could not have been a forgery from that time period. That was created for the purposes of hurting the church. He's saying two things can be true. That letter can be from the right time. It could even be written by that guy. But for all we know, that letter is a fake anyway. But again, I say, like, people are just going on and on about, like, first, instead of God and angels, it's salamanders and magic. And I'm like, sign me up. I know. And again, because this is Utah, it's all over the news. Like, every news person is talking about it. I mean, again, I say up in arms. This is all anyone can talk about at family home evening. Yeah, and then we don't get any information on this or why this happens, but the guy, Steve Christensen, the one who, like, bought the letter and wants the church to be transparent, all of a sudden, he's just donating the letter to the church. And he writes in a letter to that President Gordon B. Hinckley guy, he writes, It appears that dealing in Mormon documents can be a dangerous business. And then it's like, bum, bum, bum. What did this guy know? Like, yeah. what is... And why is he giving up the letter? Because he knows if it goes to the Mormon church, it's never going to see the light of day. They're going to throw it in the archives. They're going to hang on to it, but no one's ever going to see it ever again. Yeah, but I wonder if maybe, like, now that the news is out, people would put some pressure on them. Like, if the evening news wasn't all over this and, like, yeah. nobody in Utah knew, maybe that would be different. But I wonder if Steve was like, I'm out of this business, but now the whole world knows and now you have to deal with it. Yeah, but I'm also like, why are, Why not hang on to it? You know what I mean? Or, like, Steve, why right, not right. you, like, post it on on your fucking Facebook page, girl. Oh, I guess I guess it's 1980, whatever. <laughs> also, like, jet, wait a second. That Steve, the Steve Christensen guy is like, look yeah. at this like priceless artifact about like spilling the tea on Mormonism and like it's really a white salamander, like making it his Facebook profile. <laughs> Look, I don't always have the best ideas, all right? The hashtag new profile pic on Twitter, and it's just like, Steve, you can't even zoom in. Like, it's so like, what am I looking at here? It's just a beige blob, like, Steve. 
So now we jump to August 1985. It's two months before the bombings. And we meet Alvin Rust. He's another rare coin and document dealer. This guy's really interested in, like, the history of the money of the Mormons. Like, he really cares about the documents relating to the money. It's very weird. Yeah, and he loves coins. So he tells us a story. He was out bowling. I came to Utah and joined a bowling league. And one of the bowlers there brought out a tool chest of coins. My eyes got that big. (laughs) And Mark Hoffman saw that I was interested in Mormon-related money items. So he was coming in all the time with new items. And that guy, Mark Hoffman, the, the rock star guy who, like, found the thing in the Bible and all that stuff... He comes to see Alvin at his store to tell him about a collection in New York City. It's apparently the largest money-related and document collection anyone knows about in term, like regarding the Mormon faith. So it's like all this old money shit and actual documents like diaries and letters. Yeah. And Alvin is pretty excited about it. Yeah, because Mark's like, hey, girl, so they reached out to me. Like, they yeah. want to sell it. <laughs> but it's over 180 grand, and I don't have that kind of cash. I'm not like a hundred percent liquid right now so i'm just curious like (laughs) would you help me finance it and alvin's like absolutely i will like no questions asked like like it's nothing right and alvin's like i have credit in the bank so i just like got the money let me literally go get you a cashier's check for 185 that we see the check you guys we see the fucking check but the point is like these are all so valuable that like really like their eyes light up like oh my god like you can't pass up this opportunity for this document collection because it's like it to them it's more than just the money it's the actual document on like the founding of their like they actually actually really fucking care about this shit and I totally totally get it and so this collection is known as the McClellan collection yeah and within the collection they find a letter written by Joseph Smith's wife it's a letter that was written by Joseph Smith's wife which detailed that it was in fact Joseph Smith's older brother who first met Moroni lifted the stone saw the gold plates you guys, this is explosive. And so Shannon's like, this one, it's, I mean, it's devastating. Like, you yeah. can't get even get the words out. And I'm like, wait a second. Just like, okay, so first the salamander letter ruined everything, right? But now it comes out that Joseph Smith's brother met the angel. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. If the wife is saying that the brother met the angel, not a salamander, right. and everyone is acting like the salamander is the end-all be-all, this letter should at least show that the salamander isn't confirmed. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this with such, like, emotion. But the other thing, too, is like... It's a salamander. Like, you guys... Well, can't we, like, if everyone loves being a Mormon and being, like, in their like, why does it matter? Can't we all just, like, as Mormons look back and be like, it doesn't matter how we got here, we're here. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. The what? It, no one's disputing what was on the plates. Right. They're the big fucking deal, right? So a salamander or an angel, who cares? <laughs> I'm a little bit disputing what's on the plates. Again, I say, if they are real, I'm totally open to believing it. But I'm saying there are no documents disputing right. what's on the plates, right? <laughs> so if we're living, wait, pretend you're Shannon, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, if I'm going to be Shannon. I've got to get my voice up to even a higher octave than when it, where it already lives, girl. So just... This is going to be like a feat of science. Baby, 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 boo. Okay, I'm good. Okay. Okay, great. So, but just imagine, like, okay, so the only, the documents are only getting people up in arms about Salamander versus the angel. No one is looking at the bigger picture to be like, well... 
<laughs> the reason we love the religion so much was all on the plates, right? Like, are you really like, if I'm so, yeah. I'm just going to say, and the Mormons are going to hate me for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If your faith is so shattered by a salamander. Yes. You go, we got to talk about that a little bit, right? I mean, I mean are we going to talk about Jesus turning water into wine? Do you think if that's a thing that could happen, I wouldn't have learned how to do it? Right. <laughs> right. Like, the guy walks on water. Like, it's not just the Mormons, and all of it is ridiculous and potentially true. It, but it's all, you know what I mean? Like, right. it, that's why they call it faith, girl. <laughs> That's what exactly. But th- this is where the Mormons get into trouble because it's like all about the faith, but also they want those documents. And it's like, wait a second. And because it's such a new religion, the documents exist. So now that guy, Steve Christensen, who bought the salamander letter and then gave it to the church, even though he wants them to be transparent. Yeah. He is now working with the church. Steve Christensen had sort of been put in charge from someone in the LDS church. And he was going to go with Mark and get the McClellan Collection. Mark took it to Stephen Christensen directly to the LDS Church, and they're going to buy it for $300,000. Steve Christensen is sent by the Mormon Church to buy this collection for $300,000. Here's what's unclear to me, though. Who's he buying it from? Is he buying it from the New York people, or is he buying it from Mark Hoffman, who just got that other guy, Alvin, to pay the hundred eighty-five dollars for it? Mark. Okay, that was unclear to me. So I, it felt like the church swooped in and the, like made a better offer. Yes, and it's all meant to be unclear. So you didn't miss anything. Like, that oh, is okay. unclear here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because at least in that scenario, Alvin made a little money. You know what I mean? I'm team Alvin, if it's not clear. <laughs> the guy likes bowling. He knows what he wants. He has a nice chunk of change in the bank. Alvin. I, I like him. <laughs> I love this documentary so so much. I love it so much. They couldn't make this 15 episodes? We only I get know. three? God damn it. Can't win for I losing. I love it so much. Oh my God, I'm dying. But now, girl, we got to take it. This is something bad happened. We got to talk about it. Yeah. All right. So here we go. It's October 15th, 1985. It's 8.15 a.m. There's an explosion at a building in downtown Salt Lake City. And... Long story short, it kills Steve Christensen, the guy who bought the salamander letter. Yeah. And the guy who swooped in and paid 300 grand for the church for that, the McClellan collection as well. But we get the story told to us by this guy, Steve Christensen's business partner. Yeah, his name is Randy. And Randy was supposed to be there. Like, this is a targeted attack on Steve Christensen. It was a package yes. bomb. It's so scary and so horrible. It's so and fucking scary. Yeah. It's terrifying. And so Randy was supposed to be there, but he was running late. One of those stories where, like, you missed your flight or whatever. So Randy was running late and he gets there and he's like, I will never forget this for as long as I live. And I'll never forget looking down at the hall to our office and our door was totally blown away. There was no door. There were tab cans. There was debris all over in the hallway. And it just was unbelievable to me. It's just total destruction. And Randy's like trying to process all of this. And he's standing there amongst this debris and his friend. They're showing us images of this. We see it. We see images of the friend, of Steve, the guy like the yeah. guy who bought the letter. We see images of his body. It's, it's, it's awful. It's horrifying. And so it's so violent and so, yeah. so alarming that the property manager is there. And they turn to Randy and they're like, what the hell kind of business were you two running in here? Like what? This is so obviously a target. 
targeted attack. Like, yeah. what is going on? To which I wrote, the property manager could take it down a notch. You know what I mean? Can you be nice to the guy who lost his friend and business partner in, like, such a horrifying way? Be nicer. And, like, the body is right there. Like, we're all standing over the body. You're yelling at the guy. Could you fucking calm down? Jesus. Oh, my God. So that happens. Now it's 9.28 a.m., like an hour later, and there's another explosion at a private home. Police say both bombs were triggered by an electrical timing device and were the work of professional assassins. And these are linked. These bombings are linked because our victim here, her name is Kathy Sheets. She is the wife of one of Steve Christensen's, our other victim, his business associate. The bomb was intended for Gary Sheets, Kathy's husband, and he is involved in the Mormon document business as well. So, like, panic ensues. People are afraid that there's, like, a mad bomber on the loose. They make the connection. Like, the news and the media and everyone's making the connection. Okay, Gary Sheets is involved in these this document business. Steve Christensen is. So now they're looking into their financial dealings. They're looking into the salamander letter itself. Like, yeah. chaos is ensuing. And everyone is waiting for another bomb to go off. And guess what? It happens. So it's October 16th. It's the day after the bombings. And we're watching a TV show that looks fake, but it's very real. It's just very 80s. It's called Primetime Access. Welcome now to Primetime Access. I'm Bruce Lindsay. On this day of extraordinary news in Salt Lake City, we're going to devote most of the rest of this hour now to questions emerging from the bombing murder. It looks like a cable access show, and also the host is really good. Yeah, I'm like the, the, I was like, the production value on this throwback TV, fake TV show is amazing. Oh, wait, it's super right. real. It's just yeah, 1985. Yeah, yeah. So they are reporting that there's a phone call to the newspaper saying, oh, guess what? There are four more bombs, and they're just like, no one knows where they are. And yeah. so this guy, Mark Hoffman, the rock star guy who found the salamander letter and the McClellan collection and all that. Yeah. He is nowhere to be found. He's not showing up for meetings. He's not answering his phone. And now, yeah. like, the cops are saying to, you know, our friend Brent and all these people, like, you're all in danger. Yes. Because the targets seem to be people in this Mormon document world. And so you're all in danger. The houses were cordoned off. The families evacuated and dogs brought in to sniff for bombs. None were found. I called Mark and I warned Mark and told him that he ought to get his family out of their house. So this Mark Hoffman guy, nowhere to be found. Shannon Flynn tells us, look, he Mark had an appointment at 2 o'clock with a lawyer from a, quote, well-to-do church member. And yeah. Mark never made it to this meeting because it's about the McClellan collection. And it's really important. That's what's happening. It's like Mark was involved in that $300,000 sale to the church. Mark is basically supposed to be handing over the collection at 2 o'clock, like closing the deal, basically. Right. And Mark never makes it to that meeting because there's another bombing and it's a car bombing and it's Mark Hoffman's car. Yeah. And it's like we see again, we see the car. We see like the whole thing. Like the car is gone. Like the whole top half of the car has been completely blown off. And then remember Brent? Remember Brent, the historian that had been working with Mark? Brent like sees the news, knows it's Mark, like runs down to the crime scene. And he's like trying to say to the cops, like, girl, I know who the victim is here. I know who it is and the cops turn around to brent and they're like wait what's your name and he said what's your name and i said brent metcalf and he said i want you to come with me right now and he tells me we have reason to believe that somebody may be trying to kill you Right, because you're in this very small world of the Mormon document business and, like, everyone knows who you are because everyone's on the news because the salamander was a big deal. Like, yeah. these people were, like, celebrities in Utah right now. And Brent is, like, hysterical crying on the... Like, he's crying now telling us the fucking story. I cannot imagine how terrifying that is. But the big twist 
is that Mark Hoffman survives. Yeah. And we see, uh, I hate it when they do this. Dory's wife goes to the hospital and like she's describing his condition. Like he's missing fingers. They're showing us. I don't need to see the pictures, Netflix. I believe you when you tell me that he's missing fingers, okay? (laughs) And then like, you know, Randy, who was Steve Christensen's partner, the one that like got to the scene just after like his partner got blown up. The cops are telling him to get the hell out of town. They're sending the bomb squad to his, like everything is going crazy in this little town. And Brent, the researcher who who was working with Mark says, I didn't think that the Mormon document world was a dangerous business. I thought it was an exhilarating business, but there, there was definitely an underbelly to Mormon document dealings. Think the Mormon yeah. document business was going to be dangerous. I thought it was going to be exhilarating. And I'm like, Brent. And then he says, there's definitely an underbelly. <laughs> like, like it's the mob. And guess what? Right. It kind of is yeah. as we're learning. Yeah. Because everyone's like, wait, who could it be? Like, it has to be someone in LDS, right? Or someone else who's also in the Mormon document world. Like, is it someone having a crisis of faith because it was a salamander and not an angel? Or like, what is going on? And it ends with Brent saying, again, like it's the mob it seemed clear to me this was retaliatory it was clear to me this was retaliation this was and i was like oh my god it's an old piece of paper from the 1800s this is so crazy retaliation like they're the colombo family it's that's unbelievable Oh, you guys, thank you for checking out Murder Among the Mormons. Listen, the other two episodes are available to binge right the second ad-free on the Patreon. As a reminder, it's where you get all of our series, everything from All Beyond in the Dark and Making a Murderer and Serial Season 1 and Night Stalker. Yeah, Tiger and- King, Don't F with Cats, The Vow, a ton of stuff. So, like, these are two extra episodes and yeah. also, like, 200 more episodes. Literally basically. over 200 full ad-free bonus episodes to download and binge right the second. Yeah, after parties. We send you stuff in the mail yeah. sometimes. It's like a whole... <laughs> Party. We're party people. Lady yes. Kate's party people. That's exactly. Patreon.com slash true crime obsessed or go to our website, click on the on the Patreon link. And we love you. We love you. Hope you enjoyed this. Just yeah. a fun drop. We like doing that from time to time. It's my favorite. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye. 